Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 11 Dubcast. We are the Big Ten champions in the sport of football. Yay! Yay! And I am uh, I'm Michael Citro. I'm Johnny Ginner. Johnny, uh, I know you know the big topic obviously this week big 10 champs going to never, the playoffs all doubt. of that never stuff never a doubt <laughs> never a doubt i want to ask you right away like jump right into this because i if as i recall you didn't have a real good feeling about ohio state going into that title game yep. and not that anyone would blame you yeah. but, but what did you think of that beatdown I, I didn't know what to think and look i got to tell you something i was talking to a friend of mine you know, he was like, we're going to do it. He, he predicted a blowout. I'm like, okay, dummy. I'm I'm an internet blogger, all right? Like, I write <laughs> about sports on the internet. I know what I'm talking about. And I was trying to be all conservative. Like, well, you know, don't really know how Cardell's going to perform. First to 35 will probably win. And then, of course, they blow him out of the water and look like a jerk. You know, like. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to react to that. I mean, obviously, it's awesome and amazing, and I was laughing my butt off the entire game. But it's such it, it's such a shock, mostly because you don't really expect two backup quarterbacks to immediately. I mean, and granted, not immediately in the case of JT Barrett, but after a couple games, look really freaking awesome, and then Cardell goes out and throws for you know several hundred yards, looks amazing, makes no mistakes. It, it just, to me, it was really surprising and awesome, and I'm, we're like, okay, well, we're in the playoffs now, and I'm just kind of like, it feels like I just, like, survived a missile strike. You know what I mean? It's like I'm in a house, and then a missile just blew up the house, and I'm just standing on top of, the uh, like, the wreckage and the rubble and just looking around going, like, all right, doing all right. I'm okay. Like, I don't, it's, it's weird. It's really weird, and you've got all these PO'd people on either side of you, like, why are you still there? But... You know, there you go. Ohio State, by the grace of God, is still somehow standing and, and in the college football playoffs. So there you go. That's right. Fifty nine nothing. Um it was <laughs> yeah. not it was not close very early on. It was one of those games where like I actually started laughing at scoring points because it was like it was like it's a, an embarrassment of riches when uh Especially when Bosa scored right before the half yeah. on, on the fumble, it was like I just started laughing. I was like, "This is the best." Well, everything this is the worked. Best Christmas present ever. Everything, everything worked. worked. And you're right. And and I have to say that I'm not terribly surprised that the Buckeyes were able to run the ball. I was not terribly surprised that Cardale Jones actually had a decent game. I he, he exceeded my expectations. Don't get me wrong. I think the surprising thing for me personally was the performance of the defense, which seemingly came out of nowhere, not only to shut down the best running back in the country, but to make Wisconsin's offense look pathetic. Oh, yeah. No, they looked absolutely pedestrian. I mean, part of that is on Wisconsin, like, themselves. And I talked about this a little bit on Twitter today. Like, you know, Ohio State did what they could, you know, to, to stop them. But, uh, you know, Wisconsin didn't help Melvin Gordon out at all by – you know, with the the passing game, like it, it, a lot of it was dependent, I think, on um, you know Ohio State like taking away the one thing that Wisconsin really needs to have work, and then Wisconsin not really having anything else to respond with. Um, but again, I mean, you know, you shut out a team that was a four point favorite. I think, I mean, seriously, I think that is literally the greatest performance by an underdog in college football history. I think that's pretty much – didn't that bear that out? Isn't that the statistic? Like that is I believe it was the, the – I believe it was the second largest oh, – by an underdog, I think it is true. I think right. I think it might have been the second second worst shutout by an underdog maybe or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. But it was it – was, 
it was historic, certainly. First shutout in a in a major college football championship game. And, uh, you know, from four-point underdogs to 59-point winners is pretty big swing. <laughs> yeah, um, a little bit. <laughs> so kudos to you if you got to Vegas. Uh, right. And put some money on the Buckeyes because uh, you probably won some money. Um, give me your three best players in that game. Everybody played great. I had I had a really hard time picking player of the game for the debriefing column. Yeah. Um, but um, – and a really hard time. I like. I thought about it for like an hour after the game, and and finally I was like, okay. Uh, that's a, that's a lot of Bennett. thinking on that, Mike. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I mean, it wasn't just thinking. I was also drinking beer and just uh, doing everything I could to not run around the house with waving my pants over my head because um, I was just that excited and happy. Bad. But uh, you didn't do that. I'm a little. You didn't do that. That's that feels well, like the appropriate response. It is, but everybody else was asleep, and I didn't want to be waking them up with my whoops. And um, so, so your three best players of the game. Uh, I mean, Devin Smith is going to be up there. He, I mean, and really the whole the whole wide receiving core played probably the best and most complete game under Urban Meyer that they've played today. I mean, that was that was really. I mean, they were open the entire game. Like there was nothing that Wisconsin's cornerbacks could do to stop those guys. And if that if there's any one thing that gives me some hope going into the game against Alabama in the Sugar Bowl, that's it right there. Like if they play like that against Alabama, they have a puncher a puncher shot because that was that's what really opened the game up from the very beginning. So I you know it's going to be interesting to try to. I, don't, I think I'm facing the same problem you are, dude. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. ser- no, seriously, like, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, okay, Devin Smith's one, and Ezekiel has got to be two, I think. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, the, the dude runs for hundreds of yards. I think he averaged, like, 11 yards per carry or something insane. Um, and then I guess you want to throw in a defensive guy. You know, Michael Bennett played his butt off, and, and he's the guy who caused that fumble that Joey Bosa picked up for the score. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with him. Yeah, Bennett was my player of the game in the debriefing piece uh, based on his – not just his stats. I mean, he had, he had five five tackles in the game, but four of them were tackles for loss. Right. Uh, he entered the he entered the game with eight and a half tackles for loss on the season, <laughs> and he got four in one game. Yeah. He entered. I think he entered with. Um, I want to say he entered with four sacks and got two sacks in the game, or something like that. And then he entered with like one forced fumble and he got two in the game. So he <laughs> he. He padded his stats, but it wasn't just that. I was watching um, between plays, and he was very, very intense in that game. In between oh, plays, yeah. he I was mean, he... turning around, talking to his teammates, getting them fired up, and, and really being an on-the-field leader. Uh, he was my player of the game. Devin Smith fought for his quarterback all night. He's got to be number two. Um, he played amazing. Uh, and, you know... Then you're talking about three, and how do you not give it to Cardell Jones, but how do you not give it to Ezekiel Elliott? Right. You know? No, I think um, Ezekiel Elliott really – I think he's the young swing hero, not just in that game, but in the entire season. Um, I mean, he's rung up probably one of the quietest 1,400-yard seasons, I think, in uh, recent you know running back history at Ohio State. Um, and if you're getting consistently like eight, nine, ten yards per carry, like especially on first down – that's just so demoralizing to a defense. He he played incredibly well. The offensive line played incredibly well. Again, everything yeah. worked. Every single thing worked. When everything is working like that, then 
it's really just basically impossible to stop this offense because they are capable, I think, of running any team off the field as long as they are all at the top of their game. And I think what you saw there was just a culmination of everybody just doing exactly what they needed to do. Um, and I don't think, I mean, you can pick Alabama, whoever you want. Uh, I don't think that any team can really do much against that offense when they are really running on all cylinders. I agree. It's going to be interesting to see what uh, Nick Saban comes up with defensively for uh, Cardale Jones in his second start ever. Um, I was a little surprised that the game plan didn't call for that much quarterback running. It was like they're just going to say, hey, he's going to be a passing quarterback tonight because you're <laughs> expecting him to run, so right. we're going to just pass. Well, they don't, they uh, don't have any film on that. I think that's one of the biggest things that, that maybe, and, and again, also looking to the Sugar Bowl, how much tape do opponents have on a vertical passing game, like a, a, a passing game that's centered on stretching you out? How much tape do opponents have on that for Ohio State? Like none, right? Because that's never that hasn't been a central component of the offense for years. So, and especially not under JT Barrett, you know, the the guy has a decent arm, but not a he's not going to stretch the field like Cardell can. So, I really think that that they've got to figure something out. Because that's always that's been Alabama's biggest weakness this year is the 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 long passing game, the vertical passing game. Uh, they've gotten burned several times throughout the season on that, and I don't know. I mean, I'm trying not to get too hyped up, right? Like I'm trying not to extrapolate too much off of one game, but right, you do feel you got to feel like Cardale Jones and Devin Smith and Mike Thomas even have the ability to hit those home home run balls pretty consistently, or at least consistently enough to make Alabama have to start a game plan for that. And once you do that, that's where you're screwed, because then you have to worry about Jalen Marshall coming around the edge. John Trey Wilson's probably going to be back. Um, mm-hmm. If Ezekiel can run up the gut, like can hit the middle and get five, six, seven yards on a carry, that's what makes this offense so incredibly dangerous, because they can attack you from so many different angles. And again, if it's working, if everything is working in tandem, it is basically impossible to stop it. Now I, that doesn't always happen because oftentimes, like one of the you know maybe the play calling won't be aggressive enough or they won't be run blocking very well on a given game. But if it's all working, it is really hard to stop. It is really, really, really hard to stop. And that's yeah, we saw that against Saturday. Michigan State. Yeah, we we saw it on Saturday. Exactly. We saw it against Michigan State when this when this team goes for the jugular and lets it all hang out and and calls a a, a good varied game. They, they're really, really difficult to, to deal with for any defense. Uh, that said, Alabama has a pretty good one, and they're going to be um, hard to run on. I know that. It will be difficult uh, to run on, yes. And that's, Especially with their that's linebacking something. core, which is, which is, in my opinion, maybe like one of the top two or three best in the country. They're, they're really, they, really good. They do a nice job of filling holes, and their defensive tackles are very good at occupying multiple offensive linemen. Right. So um, picture what... Ohio State's defense did to Wisconsin. That's what Alabama's defense has been doing to most of their opponents this year. Where they have been vulnerable, as you said, is passing over the top. Uh, Devin Smith's going to have to have another big game, and uh, I think the receivers will come to play. It's nice to see Corey Smith starting to develop, although he got bogusly thrown out of the game uh, on Saturday night. <laughs> I don't think he should have been uh, thrown out of the game. We could, we, I, we could have a really long discussion about that. I do think that the penalty was warranted, but being thrown out of the game was silly. That was, that was really stupid. All right. Well, I will agree to disagree with you on the penalty, <laughs> just because to me it looks like shoulder planted right in the mid middle of the chest. Uh, any helmet to helmet was incidental oh, after I that. I agree with that. I just think that 
And that is a legal block, it, and we have seen that happen this year. It is a legal block, but that is not how they're calling it anymore. And I, I think that's the thing that players need to be aware of. Like, they're they're trying to get rid of that type of play, whether it is technically legal or not. They are trying to eliminate that kind of play from the game. And I understand why they would call a penalty there, simply because of the viciousness of the hit. Whether it's a legal hit or not, technically, or textbook-wise, it's legal. That, they don't care about that. That is out the door. And I think a lot of players and coaches need to realize that. Um, well, they, they need to start caring about the rules, because the rules are the rules, and if you don't care about the rules, then we have anarchy. <laughs> this, Johnny, is not, we have a, this is not NOM, Michael. This is, I know. We have anarchy. It's, I mean, but they, you know, they do selectively you know, impose the rules. They, I mean, Mike still, Thomas, um, Mike Thomas in the end zone was interfered with, and yeah. that was a good call. But Devin Smith was interfered with twice on touchdown catches that was not called. So it was a good thing he caught those touchdown passes. Right. Um, but anyway, uh, I'm not going to complain on a 59, nothing game. Not going to, not going <laughs> to complain about the, no, even about the officiating, about the officiating. even about the big 10 officials, um, which I'm sure if you ask any Wisconsin fan, they'll say, oh, I stayed held all night and it was terrible. Um, <laughs> you know, that was the other thing. That, that's one of the funniest things to me because I, I was just, as soon as that happened, because Ezekiel Elliott, there, were, there was a pretty obvious hold on his touchdown. Um, I was just like, I was scanning the internet. I was looking over Twitter like, come on, man, there's got to be some kind of Wisconsin fan who's complaining about holding there because I'm like, they are they are holders par excellence. Excellence. Oh, yeah. Uh, for, oh my God, Wisconsin might be the worst team in the Big Ten for that, and they have always been the worst team in the Big Ten for that. So for them to complain about that would have been just, yeah, that that's that's pretty hilarious. So I I don't think that they really have a whole you know a whole lot of room to to say anything, and I'm glad not, I'm glad I didn't see a lot of it. I'm glad I didn't see not, not a leg to stand on there, Wisconsin. Sorry, and I'm glad I didn't see a lot of it on Twitter because I think Wisconsin fans on the whole would acknowledge that they they have benefited from some pretty uh, lax application of those particular rules. So back again this week, of course, our good friend Matt Finkus for Finkus on Football. Matt, how you doing tonight? Doing great, guys. How about you? Excellent. I'm doing very – actually, I'm doing better than excellent. I'm, I'm, I feel like uh, things have been accomplished. I, I'm very excited. <laughs> Couldn't be better. I – I didn't go to bed till about 4.30 on Saturday night. Um, yeah, I don't think you were the only one. I think uh, you know, I found myself sitting at home on the couch and just got home. We did the post-game show, and I looked at the clock. It's like 3.30. I'm like, I'm not even tired. I want to know if, we, if we're going to make it or not. Are we going to make it in or you know, what's going to happen? So, yeah, I think everyone in Columbus was, uh, was probably up for a good uh, at least 24 hours on Saturday. Well, before we get into the playoff, uh, and I do want to get your take on, on all that transpired there, uh, first of all, I want to give you kudos because you told us last week <laughs> that Ohio State would shut down that Wisconsin running game, and uh, I I have to ask though, was it did it even surpass your expectations? Yeah, I'll tell you what, uh, I, I think that once they started playing, you you knew that that was capable. Um, what what really surprised me was just. Um, really kind of the total domination that, that uh, there was really only one time in the game uh, right at the, right at the start of the third quarter where Wisconsin started to mount a little bit of a drive. I mean, that was the only time of the game where they even had any kind of momentum uh, whatsoever. And, and, you know, the, the Buckeyes quickly kind of squashed that out, but, you know, the, I expected them to, to to be ready and to play well. You know, I, I talked to the coaches and stopped over at practice, and and I knew they were focused. I knew they had a chip on their shoulder, and that's that's the that's 
when this team plays its best is when it has that kind of attitude, which lends uh, very well into going into the college football playoff as a 10-point underdog to Alabama. But I don't think anyone expected a 59 to nothing. I mean, I think my sport prediction on the show, uh, on the pregame show, was like, uh, I think I said 45-20. So I even expected them to give up. Uh, I expected Melvin Gordon to, to get around 100 or 120 yards and then, you know, sneak in a couple touchdowns. And, and you know, the big X factor was you didn't know how – um, how well the offense was going to play to kind of give the defense a break even now and then, but uh, they right. they were lights out. I mean, just unbelievable. Yeah, how did I mean? How did Cardell do that? Like I don't like I'm still <laughs> trying to figure out. Like this is a dude he's never started a college football game. Like he's had I think I think going to the game he had all of like twenty something attempts, and then yeah. he, he plays lights out. How does that happen? Well, I, I think it's part of the system. I mean, I think I think when you look at the game plan, and I went back and watched the game it was on again the other night. If you look at what when they called the pass plays, it wasn't a complicated scheme. You know, there was really one time I think that that I watched the game where Cardell had to go to his third read and check down to it. Um, you know, the, a great product of the offensive line. You know, you go back to that Virginia Tech game, and you you look at how bad the offensive line played against an. You know, I mean, they're a good defensive front, but not a great defensive front. I think Wisconsin is every bit as good a defensive front. Michigan State is surely a better defensive front than than what Virginia Tech brings to the table. But the offensive line was was so much better. I mean, you, when you looked at Cardell Jones sitting back in the pocket and just camped out there waiting for someone to get open, I mean, sometimes I can throw those passes. I mean, you know, it's, it's great <laughs> to get that kind of kind of protection and kind of time. And, and I think that was a big key. Running the football was a big key. And, and they didn't ask too much for, of him. You know, they played to Cardell's strengths. Cardell is a strong arm. He can throw the ball down the field. We have one of the best deep ball receivers in college football, if not the best deep ball receiver in college football, and Devin Smith. And and I, I love what Tom Herman did early on in the game. Hey, throw it up. Let Devin Smith, as long as it's not double coverage, let Devin Smith make a play one-on-one. They did a great job of lining Devin Smith up in the slot so he would get one-on-one coverage with a safety instead of a corner. And it was just a great mismatch and, and, a, and a great uh, idea by Tom Herman to go and play to Cardell Jones and Devin Smith's strengths. Not let him run the offense that J.T. Barrett necessarily ran, but but play to his strength. And that's that's throwing the ball down the field. And, and you saw that. And, and, man, he has a – and that's the one thing I think that everyone knew and you heard it. And I remember watching him in the spring and watching him in the fall. And you, you saw so much zip on the ball. But when you watched him in the spring, it was just so inconsistent. I mean, you literally – didn't know where the ball was 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 going to go. I mean, you knew it was going to get there in a hurry, but you didn't know where it was going to go. And to see him have progressed throughout the course of the season through practice and the accuracy. I mean, when you know when he was thirty, he had one high pass that Michael Thomas had to go up and get, and you know made made a, an overthrow here or there. But for the most part, he was right on the money and, and very accurate and a lot of zip on the football. And I think that that a lot of the attitude of Cardell Jones too. I mean, he comes in with this. Um, with this confidence, and, and you can kind of see it in the way he carries himself. I mean, from the minute he walked on the field, he wasn't nervous. You, you could tell by his body language he felt confident in what he was going to do. And that's one of the things that, you know, I was talking to Tim Kite about last week, right after the game when, when you know, JT Barrett goes down. 
uh, I was I was talking with Tim Kite from Focus Three, you know, who does all their leadership training, and I just said, you know, what's mm-hmm. what's the deal with Cardell? I mean, what, what's you know, mentally, what's how how is he going to be? I, I know he's physically capable of doing it, but mentally, how is he going to be? And the one thing that Tim said to me, or the two things that Tim said to me, is he has all the confidence in the world in himself, and the team has a ton of confidence in him. So I mean, that right there speaks volumes to the kind of guy that he is, and you know, I mean. He's got a lot bigger test uh, coming up here in the college football playoffs, but you also have three more weeks to prepare under Urban Meyer and Tom Herman. So uh, I, I think that bodes pretty well for him. But, but I think that I think the offensive staff did a great job of not trying to trying to to, to get Cardell out of his rhythm or playing in a in a JT Barrett style offense. I, I think if you go back and look, Tom Herman probably went to him and said, you know, hey, what, what do you feel comfortable running?" Because that's what we're going to build this offense around, and I think that's what they did. Matt, you, uh, the game that Michael Bennett had was, uh, Johnny and I were both talking about this before, uh, just an incredible, inspired, uh, very intense game that he played. He was, it was reported that he, he and Adolphus Washington were turning around and telling the linebackers, just clean it up outside. There's no, not going to be any holes in the middle. What did you think of his play and the play of the defensive line on Saturday night? I think that he and Adolphus Washington totally dominated that football game. I think if you want to point to two people who who pitched the shutout, those are the two guys you can start with. And I, you know, I noticed it early on in the game. I was on Twitter and and you know, I just said these guys have the opportunity here to take this game over. Wisconsin hasn't seen two guys on the inside that are this athletic, this strong, this big, can cause penetration, can pass rush, and, and can do all those things. And, you know, so much attention gets put on Joey Bosa for what he's able to do, and rightfully so. But those two guys on the inside have had great seasons, and, and Michael Bennett probably more than anyone here the last couple of weeks. Just he, He's progressed each week here the last three or four weeks and had a better and better and better game. And those two guys in the middle were absolutely a dominating force. And, and that's the big key to stopping that Wisconsin running game. I mean, if you can get penetration on the inside, if you can get a, a defensive lineman uh, in that th- – three technique who can get up yield and make Melvin Gordon or make that running back, make a cut before he wants to. The, the, what makes Melvin Gordon so good is his patience because he'll wait for that offensive line to, to, to muddle around and to get some push and to find a crease. And he's patient enough to, to wait there until that crease happens and goes and takes it. And then he's got great athletic ability after that. But when Michael Bennett and Adolphus Washington and, and even Joey Bosa are, are able to get into the backfield and to make Melvin Gordon make a decision early in that play, it, it destroys what makes him so great. And, and what makes him so great is that ability to be patient and to find that crease that's really going to gash a team for 15, 16 yards. When you make him make a decision right off the bat and make him cut back or make him bounce right away, and if the other guys on your team are playing gap sound defense, it's going to be a no gain or or a two-yard gain at the most every single time. And I think that's what you saw on Saturday night was those two guys on the inside really making Melvin Gordon make a decision before he wanted to. Where they had some penetration, they they were either moving the line of scrimmage or they were holding the line of scrimmage where Wisconsin couldn't get that rush and that roll off the line of scrimmage and get some movement backwards. And I think that was the, the major difference in the game. Those two guys, I, I think, controlled the line of scrimmage all night long and were the biggest factors in that football game. Well, projecting this out to the, the Sugar Bowl, I mean, how do you see Ohio State kind of matching up in this? Because it, it almost feels – I mean, I don't, I don't want to say we fell into it. I mean, Ohio State obviously earned their way in by, by playing as well as they did, uh, especially in the last month here. But um, how do you think they match up against Alabama, which is a team that I don't think any Ohio State fan really expected to be playing uh, at this point in the year? 
No, and, and, you know, I've only seen Alabama play twice this year, um, but they're a vulnerable team. I mean, this isn't the Alabama of, uh, you know, of two or three years ago where they just looked. I mean, this is the Alabama team that played Notre Dame in 2012, where they were absolutely just a dominant football team, and it, it was going to take a lot to stop them. They've got some chinks in the armor. They, you know, they lost a lot, as they do every year. But you look at the linebacking core, and, and Trey Dupreece is playing really well. But when you lose a C.J. Mosley, that's going to hurt. When you lose Clinton Dix, when you lose you know, the, the secondary guys that they did, especially at the safety position, I think that's why you see teams taking a shot and being successful with, uh, with that down the field because you have some inexperienced guys uh, or, or some – guys that maybe aren't as developed, I shouldn't say inexperienced, but they're not as developed yet into that position as what Alabama has had in the past. I mean, it's it's basically the same thing Ohio State is playing with right now. I mean, it's a it's a young team that, that started out the year um, as a very young football team, especially at the quarterback position, and I think Alabama has progressed right along and Sims has progressed right along uh, with the, this football team, just like JT Barrett and this offensive line has done at Ohio State. A lot of parallels I, I see between Ohio State and Alabama. Their defensive line is a big, strong, physical defensive line that replaced a lot of guys. Didn't They're not a lot of real marquee players, but they, they really started to play very well. So um, that's going to be the interesting matchup for me. I think Ohio State's offensive line versus the Alabama defensive line is where this is going to be won or lost, I think, for the Buckeyes. If, if they're able to to run the football, use that play action to take the shots down the field just like they did at Wisconsin, they've got a good chance. And and I think Alabama's offense uh, is something that, that it's, it's kind of similar to what um, to what Wisconsin and some of these Michigan State teams run as well. But uh, they, they've got Amari Cooper on the outside. That's going to be someone that you obviously have to deal with. Uh, Duran Grant is going to have his hands full there. But I think you, you just you, you double covered. You, you look at what uh, Ole Miss did with Alabama, and they didn't. They let Amari Cooper have his catches, but where Amari Cooper has been absolutely killing people is either after the catch where he catches a slant route, breaks a tackle in single coverage, and takes it the distance because he has unbelievable speed, or where you leave him in single coverage and, and mismatched against a, a corner, and he's able to make a double move and, and get into the open field. So I think if they double him, and, and you're probably going to see a little bit more, uh, a little bit less, I should say, of the press coverage or the or the four. Uh, the, the four press or, or you know, even the 6-2 the, the that they play a little bit there, you're going to see a little bit less of that and a little bit more, of, of at least on the Mari Cooper side, of, of that little bit of a, a, a an off zone. I think that you're going to see a combination coverage, more of a cover six where you're playing maybe a two or three to one side and a four to the other. And I think that's what you're going to see against Alabama's offense. But, I mean, they're always going to be good. I mean, Nick Saban, Urban Meyer, this matchup is going to be phenomenal. I think that when you look at the college football playoffs, all the matchups are going to be great. I really thought that they would, uh, just for logistics sake, put Ohio State out in the uh, in the Rose Bowl with, with Oregon so Florida State wouldn't have to travel because I don't think they're going to travel particularly well. But that you know the matchup of, of Mariota and, and Jameis Winston is, is, is very good. Then you get the Urban Meyer-Nick Saban matchup. So uh, th- there's a lot to, to point to in the college football playoffs. I think that they got it right. I think you look at the way that this Buckeye team is, was playing down the stretch and especially that last game. I don't think there's any doubt they're one of the top four teams in the country. I can see where um, – I can almost see where, where, where TCU and Baylor have a have an argument. But if you really go down the resume and look at it and, and you look at, at what the committee was putting emphasis on, which I believe is the right thing, they, they put a, more emphasis on quality wins than they did on anything else. 
they, they didn't knock you down a lot if you – I mean, look at Florida State and all the close calls they had. They didn't really knock them down or, or penalize them too much for that. I mean, you go back to TCU barely beating Kansas. I mean, Kansas is a two-win football team. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. and, and, and they didn't penalize TCU in that instance. So they didn't look at those close games that you had against the, the, the margin or the bad teams, but they put a ton of emphasis on your quality wins, and, and I think they put a, a, the right amount of emphasis on the quality wins, and if you look at that and you look at the, the schedule and you look at Oregon and what they were able to do against Michigan State, against UCLA, against Arizona, against you know the, the Stanfords of the world, you look at what Alabama is able to do going through that SEC conference in the, in the West and the quality wins that they were able to pick up there against you know the, the, the Auburns and the Mississippi States and the Ole Miss. And you look at, at what Florida State is, is doing, just winning football games. I mean, anytime that you go undefeated in a major conference, that's that's a feather in your cap. And especially if you haven't lost a game in 29 times, that's that's even better. And I think that TCU and Baylor got hurt by not scheduling uh, the quality non-conference. I know TCU had the had the non-conference game against Oregon, but having an FCS school on your schedule hurt them both. Uh, and and I think that that you know for all the talk of the Big Ten and how down it is and how bad of a of a conference it is, you know, you've got Michigan State, you've got Wisconsin in the top 15, you've got Minnesota sneaking in there in the top 25, you've got Nebraska, you know, I mean, they're a 9-4, and four, or I'm sorry, 8-4 and four football team, or, and, and so the, the quality of the Big Ten, I think, shown through with, with when you juxtapose it against the Big 12, which, and, and I'll tell you what, I think the, the loss of Oklahoma did not help either one of those schools. I think that, that that took a quality win, so to speak, off their schedule because you looked at, at what the, the committee focused on, and it wasn't what you were ranked at the time that they played you, but it, it, they looked at the body of the work. They, I mean, Oklahoma State was ranked 15th, I think, when when uh, when TCU played him, and they ended up, I think, barely bowl eligible. I mean, I, I think that they had to beat Oklahoma to be bowl eligible, if I'm not mistaken. So I think that that you look at what the committee emphasizes, and I think it's the right thing. I mean, when you when you get into that atmosphere, you don't want a team that you know can beat up on Iowa State. You want a team that you know can win on a big stage in a big-time game against a, an opponent that has equal or better quality than you. And I think that's what they put the focus on, and I think that was right. I mean, in Baylor, I think they've got a better argument than what TCU did because they beat TCU in the head-to-head. But then again, I mean, where's your other quality wins? I mean, and, and you can throw a couple in there in the Big 12, but I think what Ohio State did on the road against Michigan State <laughs> And at a neutral field against Wisconsin it was what ultimately put him in and over the edge. Yeah, I agree with you, Matt. Uh, that was that was pretty comprehensive. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was great. That was great. Um, before we let you get out of here, we got a couple other calls to make tonight. But before we get out of here, I just want to ask you um, about the, the selection show. Uh, you know where. Where were you? How did it go down for you? And, and um, you know, what were your thoughts well, at the time? I mean, I got a seven-week-old baby, so I'm, I'm home holding the baby in one hand and watching the selection show <laughs> with the other, letting the wife take a nap. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think what, what they did, I, I, I like what happened here. Um, there, there's parts of this college football that I don't like, and, and, I'll, and I'll say it right now. You know, you, you see uh, Darren Lee's mom and Annie Apple and, and those guys being – being vocal on Twitter, especially these last couple of days, about you know the the cost and the in the prohibitive cost. And I know I've looked into going to the games. I've had friends that looked into going to the games. I mean, the flights are, are ridiculous. Hotels, mm-hmm. you know, the, the the all those things that, that factor into it. 
And I think when they set this up, you know, I was I was against this from from the beginning. I didn't think the BCS was that broken necessarily. This does add excitement. I think it's a you know it, it adds all those things that you wanted to add. But at the same time, you're asking guys to play another game. Um, that, that's a lot of wear and tear on your body. And, and I, I think that they need to to make a stipulation to allow, especially if you get in these college football playoffs, and, and there's a, the possibility of, of playing two games within 12 days or 13 days or what it is. They need to let the universities pay for these parents to go to go on these bowl trips. And, and mm-hmm. you know, not necessarily just to, to get them hotel rooms. I think hotel, they can probably take care of that on their own. But, you know, let the, let the universities charter a flight from Columbus. I mean, they, right. they, they do it already. Every bowl game that I've ever went to, there's a, the Ohio State University, and they're well within the rights. They get the money to do this, and it's well within the rules. They load up a, a total, a, a whole other plane of, of staff and people who've helped out through the year, and, and you know, the, whoever it is, they load up a whole other plane and take the, the families and the coaches' families and everything. And I'm not begrudging those people, but, but there's no reason that you can't put a charter flight together for the families of these players and, and put them on that plane and get them to these bowl games. So at least that's one thing off their plate. And, and I, you know, I mean, the, the struggle is real for a lot of these families to, to try to put together the money to, to, to make to these bowl games. And I think that's something the NCAA absolutely needs to address it. And, and they need to address it here before January 1st. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, I think we're all in agreement on that. And actually that's a, a good segue to the, the next part of our show here tonight. We're going to be talking a little bit more about that. But Matt Finkus, thanks again for being with us. Finkus on football. You can catch him every week here on the Dubcast. Thanks a lot, Matt, and have a great night. Always a pleasure, guys. Talk to you next week. Joining us now on the 11 Dubcast is Stacy Elliott, father of Ohio State running back Ezekiel Elliott. And Stacy, I have to I have to ask you right off the bat, what was going through your mind when you saw that big hole early in the game on Saturday night and your boy taking it to the house from 80-plus yards away? Well, first and foremost, I want to uh, uh, thank you guys for inviting me on the program. I'm oh, we're great to have you. a part of this. Um, but to answer your question, when I saw that big hole and I saw Ezekiel run through it, I, I just felt I was about to jump out out my seat on the field and run <laughs> behind them with excitement. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't blame you. We were all we were all pretty much freaking out too, I think. Yeah, I um I'm starting to see a young man who is maturing and uh he's starting to look like the great back that I know he will become at Ohio State. Well, I want to I want to talk I want, I want to take it back a little bit before even uh, you know as he got to Ohio State. Um, we I want to hear from you specifically. Like I know his recruitment was crazy, and there were all kinds of things that are going. Like he he was pulled in a billion different directions. Can you tell us a little bit about what his recruitment was like, and maybe some like stories that that happened with that? Well, you know, unlike sometimes parents, they may have a false image of their child. I personally didn't know how good Ezekiel was until he went on the national circuit, participated at the Nike opening and uh, various different camps and saw him around the other elite uh, student athletes from around the country. And so when the process started, it kind of started late because we didn't have a knowledge of how it went for, you know, Ezekiel started, uh, making visits his junior year where 
uh, a lot of student-athletes start their freshman year going around the country uh, to various different camps and uh, visiting universities. And so Ezekiel's first offer was from the University of Arkansas, and uh, it started uh, it, it started that was the start of Ezekiel receiving offers from various different schools. So we would visit various different schools on their junior days. And so um, one day uh, Ezekiel had told me, or his mom told me, that uh, he had got an offer from Ohio State. And so I had came home late that night and uh, saw Ezekiel. He happened to be up. And I said, oh, you got an offer from Ohio State, huh? He said, yes, sir. I said, well, who's the coach at Ohio State? He said, Urban Meyer. I like to sell out. I was like, Urban Meyer? He's the coach. <laughs> and uh, this was in February of his junior year. And uh, he uh, he goes on and says that they want us to come to junior day on Sunday uh, in Columbus, Ohio. And we had already planned a trip to the University of Missouri-Columbia, as y'all, you guys know, his mom ran track there, and I played football. And so mm-hmm. this was a big deal for us. We were going to go to Mizzou, um, you know, finally. And Mizzou hadn't even offered him yet, which was kind of strange. Um, but we would later find out they wanted to offer him in person. Um, but it's a lot to that, too. Um, right. But so we had, so I say, well, we got to be at Mizzou on Saturday. I'm like, you know what? Hey, let's just, we might have to scrap Mizzou and just go to Ohio State. We'll get back to Mizzou. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was funny because my family didn't know who Urban Meyer was, and I knew who he was from his tenure at the University of Florida. So I was like excited, and this is the first time that a big-time coach was showing some interest in my son, and I wanted to find out what this all was about. <laughs> yeah, I don't well, I'm, I'm I'm glad you talked about that a little bit because uh, and brought up the fact that you played at Missouri because I wanted to ask you what your recruitment was like as opposed to what your son's recruitment was like because it had to be you know I would think fairly different. Uh, very different, you know. I, I graduated in 1988. I grew up in the metropolitan area in New York City. Uh, I went to a high school in in Hackensack, New Jersey. And uh, my high school was known for producing Division I athletes. So we always had a lot of D1 schools come through uh, my school. Uh, Recruiters come through my school. But in those days, we didn't have Facebook. We didn't have Instagram. We didn't have Twitter. We didn't have Snapchat. We didn't have social media. And uh, some people didn't even have phones. And we had one phone, and it was in the living room with no call ID. So <laughs> I, I remember uh, schools that had interest in me uh, calling my house. And I remember having pressure on me um, uh, to make my choice. But, you know, with this modern day, recruitment, with social media, it became tremendous on Ezekiel and his family, all the attention that he was getting. I mean, we were literally getting fan mail to our house. 
people sending things, wanting him to sign it, sending gifts. I was like, how do these people even know where we live? That's crazy. Yeah, it's really crazy. Very crazy. So, I mean, how how has that kind of changed now that he's at Ohio State? He's had a great season, obviously. I mean, are you guys still getting that kind of attention, or is it still like, you know, is a little more low-key now that he's actually in the system? It's a little easier to, to handle. Well, it's definitely not low-key. <laughs> <laughs> um, the attention is it, 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 it's, it's great, the attention, but it's a beautiful thing because Buckeye Nation is a beautiful community. And um, I remind Ezekiel, who happens to be one who doesn't really care much for attention, to be quite frank with you. Uh, for a long time, he he didn't like people to know that he was a football player. And I'll never forget, after uh, he had been at Ohio State his freshman year, uh, he came here, he came to Ohio State in June, and it was August time for them to report for camp. And we took him out to dinner. And being under Vicky uh, Marotti's program, you, your body transforms. And we were <laughs> out in public, and a lady was talking to Don, and it was saying, well, what, what position does he play? And Ezekiel looks over to me, he's like, Dad, why is Mom telling people I play football? I said, son, <laughs> you can't hide no more. Your deck is bigger than mine. That's great. Um now let's talk a little bit about that uh, the Buckeye Nation thing because you have become a, a really big uh, cheerleader for the program, uh, very visible with um, you know when recruits come to visit and and, and uh, getting to know the other parents and that kind of thing, very helpful. And, and I just want to ask you about uh, embracing this university that you really had no ties to until your son decided to play football there. Yeah, you know. When we started in the recruiting process and we met with Coach Meyer, um, and after, you know, um, getting beyond Coach Meyer, the, the celebrity in the sense, um, I went into father mode and I started studying various different uh, schools, their academics, because academics was very big for us. Ezekiel went to a, a strong academic private school, so academics was always uh, major to us. I did studying uh, coaches, their philosophies uh, offensively, and their program in general in molding and shaping men. And so being Coach Meyer through the process, at times both kids, and I learned that, you know, Coach Meyer is a very strong person, personality-wise, and um, as a parent, and this is my son, I was very strong in my personality and emotional all at the same time. More emotional than I ever thought I really was as a human being, to be quite frank with you. <laughs> and so, when in, in the process, uh, Ezekiel, it went from my my family, all in, then I was still questioning certain things, and then near the end, me and Don were all in, and Ezekiel would get nervous. Uh, we never promoted Missouri to him. What I'm saying that to say the answer to your question is, 
I started developing a relationship with Coach Urban Meyer during the process, and I started learning how much he cared about the development of the student-athlete. And I also thought, as I would hear from other coaches as they recruited against Urban Meyer, that it was unfair that he was accused and blamed for um, a lot of the ills and problems that student-athletes bring to a university. And I saw a man who, who spent a lot of time in trying to cultivate young people and make them great citizens. He used to say to me, John, we were of the 4%. And I said, well, Coach, what is the 4%? And he said, well, 4% of the black student athletes I recruit have a mother and father involved. And as we traveled around the country, I would look and I would see what Coach Urban Meyer had taught me. And I was intrigued with that, that a, a, that a football coach would, would, would look that much into the condition of student-athletes, black student-athletes in particular. And so Ezekiel uh, came to uh, Ohio State, and I would be up in Columbia, Columbus a lot. I would spend time with Coach Meyer. And the blunt of our conversation would be about um, developing young people and, 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 and making young people better because uh, my profession, I'm a game specialist. I work with youth that are at risk to violence, youth that are in gangs. And so our relationship started to grow because of that confidence dominated that me and Coach Urban Meyer shared about developing young people. I think that's awesome. That's that's really great. I mean, speaking as a as a uh, high school teacher, like I, I really appreciate that um, from what both of you guys do. I think that's awesome. Um, so I had a quick question for you, and this is this is kind of related to that a little bit about the community at Ohio State. Uh, you know, you got Ohio State; they're going to these bowl games, they're going to the playoff and whatnot. And one of the issues that was kind of brought up uh, by our previous guest Matt Finkus is you know the the cost involved of going and things like that. Can you just just give us your opinions on that and and how that's maybe affecting some of the families? Well, to be quite honest with you, as a student athlete at Missouri, I was very vocal in the late 80s, early 90s about student athletes and how they were treated um, at major universities and the debate that uh, student athletes should be um, paid or or given something more outside of their scholarship check um, for their efforts at the university. Um, and so as an adult, uh, I felt like it was un- it's, it is unfair. I mean, let's not even get to the – let's go back before you even sign. The way the, the process is today, if you have not traveled – around the country with your child and visited various different schools and you wait till your senior year. November your senior year is when schools can provide for, uh, uh, can pay for your visits to the school. By that time, for most student athletes, it's too late. The scholarships are taken. Most 
universities already have commitments, slots of fields. So it, it's 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 a great burden on the uh, student athlete and his parents. And you know, like Coach Urban Meyer would talk about us being the four percent. Well, being the four percent, can you imagine those youth, those student athletes growing up coming from disadvantaged situations, families don't have the money, um, and, and still trying to make all these trips. Well, now we're in college, and I mean, me and Dawn, we are working, we work, and it's a burden. And we have to pay for gas, we have to pay for hotels, we have to pay for all type of things just all going on the road just to be there to support our child. And it's very hard, you know. And then when you look at and, and the way the system is, it's flawed. And I and I applaud Coach Urban Meyer because he has talked about how the system was flawed. And he's talked about how, you know, there needs to be something done for parents. A lot of these um, universities with the team flies, if you look who's on the plane with the team, there's boosters, there are execs uh, from the universities, people making big money, but they don't have to pay for anything. But the parents can't even afford a jersey that is released by Nike. Like, you know, it's kind of funny. Ezekiel's <clears throat> freshman year, you couldn't find a number 15 jersey. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. But but then, you know, 15 is released uh, by Nike under the uh, by the permission of the of the Ohio State University, and now you can go and you see 15 is all over those jerseys. You got one that costs about ninety dollars, and then that's the uh, replica, and then they got one that's called the authentic jersey, and that's one hundred and thirty-five dollars. You know. And so that's a lot of money. Yeah, you know, absolutely. No, I mean, it, you're absolutely right. And that's, and that's, I think, an excellent point. And that's really why, you know, we wanted you to talk about it because it's, it's an issue that I think affects a lot of families uh, at Ohio State. And I, I really appreciate you talking about that. You know, one other thing, too, I applaud Ohio State. I applaud compliance, Gene Smith's office. I applaud Coach Myers. And I'm and I'm being, and I and I mean this from the depth of my heart because I'm one of those type of people. I'm not going to support something or represent something that I don't believe in. Right. I'm just not that type of person. And I believe uh, out of the universities that I saw around the country that I've dealt with, including Missouri, that whatever Ohio State can do, which is the rules of the NCAA, they will do it. That's great. That's great. It's it's good to know, and, and it, it is a hot button issue. And I think uh, bringing awareness to it is, is certainly, um, you know, the key to to getting some change done. Just, just like with any social change, you know, awareness is the key. And I think it's good to to hear the families speaking up to say, you know, we can't uh, we can't go see our kid play. Uh, you know, a lot of our a lot of us can't go see our kids play, especially when you get to this playoff situation where now you're talking about an extra game on the road, far from home. And, and having to travel and eat eat you know in restaurants and and that kind of thing so uh, we we really do appreciate you talking about this and I'm sure we'll be talking about it more uh, down the down the road. Let me say this: the Parents Association did a survey here at um, the football family 
Parents Association did a survey. And 70% of the families can't afford to go to New Orleans for the Sugar Bowl. Now, with Ohio State getting into the playoffs, the university received $6 million. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's not... Uh... It's not fair. The uh, and you know the, we we've heard too that the school would be happy to to make those those things happen, those travel things happen. But uh, their their hands are tied by the system with the NCAA. They'll get in trouble for doing that kind of thing. So exactly. Um, I, I think we'll we'll see some change eventually. But um, we do appreciate you guys uh, sort of you know voicing your opinions on it. And uh, and that's like I said, that's how change gets done. But Stacy, thank you so much for being with us on the the Eleven Dubcast. We we hope that you'll come back and, and visit us again uh, soon. Uh, I'm sure we'll want to talk to you some more uh, when we get closer to National Signing Day and get your get your take on on what that process is like and all that. Uh, thanks again for being with us. You're welcome, and as always, go Bucks. Go Bucks. Thank <laughs> you. Our next guest on tonight's Eleven Dubcast is Annie Apple the uh, mom of Eli Apple. And uh, Annie, thanks for being on the show with us tonight. Thank you for having me. The uh, You know, we've been wanting to, to have some more uh, of the parents on because you guys give a, a real unique perspective, and uh, I think that the listeners really appreciate it. The first thing I wanted to ask you, though, is about uh, Saturday night and what the atmosphere was like uh, for the Big Ten championship game. I'm telling you, Saturday night was one of the best experiences I think I've ever had as, mm. as a sports fan and just as a, as a Buckeye fan. Um, we weren't surprised at how good our boys played. I think the rest of the world, you know, was, but we weren't. We knew coming into the game that um, Cordell would be ready um, and our defense would be ready. And for Cordell to come out there and just play as well as he did, um, you know, people were saying, oh, is he nervous, you know, he's the third string, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you come to Ohio State to play in these games. He's been here, he's been ready to play, and definitely he showed that he was. But I was so proud of our guys, so proud of our defense. I mean, the atmosphere was incredible, especially compared to last year where we went away without the win. And to win so emphatically this time was just, I mean, I was was in tears. So what's it like, I mean – this has obviously been a really crazy season. I mean, it's just been all over the place. Um, what's it been like kind of integrating yourself in the whole Ohio State family and, and being part of this whole ridiculous thing? I mean, for us, we, we, we love being Ohio State Buckeye parents. You know, we, we consider um, the team, the coaches, really as family. We're a very close unit um, of parents. Um, guardians and families and we love to have a good time i know i do i mean i <laughs> find a way to have a good time at a funeral i just think hey we're going to go through this let's enjoy it you know the, the atmosphere if you allow it, it can be stressful it can be competitive but i think my husband and i made a commitment that we really wanted to make this a great time for all the parents as well as our sons and it's been it's been amazing we've had a ball each each week we get together we have a great time we believe these kids can do it. They're young, um, but they're hungry. And, you know, I, and I, I think the, the addition of Coach Ash has really helped to fuel um, our team, especially our defense. 
So we're just embracing this, you know, it, it, it gets no better than this. It absolutely gets no better <laughs> than this. So we're having a ball. That's great. Well, certainly it doesn't get any better than, than what happened Saturday night. Um, but that, uh, and then Sunday morning we found out that Ohio State was uh, was selected to, to go to the college football playoff. And I understand that a lot of the families, uh, there's a, a pretty steep financial burden to go to, I mean, to get go to any city that you don't live in uh, for a day or two to go, you know, watch your son play football. But you were very vocal on Twitter uh, about the the costs and and what uh, what is involved in in going to these games and how a lot of um, the families can't afford it and how the NCAA kind of ties the hands of the the universities, uh, even though they're you know they're all making a lot of money off of uh, you know of the young men. Yeah. So uh, give us some idea of what. You would maybe spend you know, a weekend. You know, when, when we all, you know, along with the world, we all sat and watched the playoff committee. And when we won, I mean, when we won, it felt like we won again. Um, <laughs> but when we were selected into the playoff, because we pretty much kicked our way in, um, we were, I mean, we were celebrating. You know, we were all really, really happy. I mean, my husband, my daughter, and I were jumping up. You know, Eli had just missed a chill. So um, <laughs> after we did after we did every dance I could think of, then we're like, oh, let's go park. And then it was like, are you serious? And, you know, we're out-of-town parents. We live about eight hours away in South Jersey. So for the past two years, we've driven to every game. And between the cost of hotels and gas and the whole nine, it gets really expensive. Um, but I think as a parent, you know, it's a commitment. It's a sacrifice we make. Like last year, we spent upwards of 15 grand just for hotels and gas and, and, you know, and travel, not even including food, including going to Orange Bowl last year. But that was a sacrifice we made. And I think for me the most upsetting thing is that when the playoff committee and the Big Five Conference and the NCAA sat down to come up with a playoff system, they really neglected to value the players' families, and that's a problem. Because, as you know, Sunday we found out you go online and already the prices are inflated. Um, I mean, how a family supposed to, who has just an extra five grand just sitting around collecting dust? Not many of us. Right. And especially this time of year. And right now, you know, it's a large percentage of our families won't be able to attend because the prices are so inflated and they're also um, astronomical. And I think people think, oh, you know, what are you talking about? It's not an issue about paying players or paying athletes. It's about you have the money there. I mean, television deals is, is huge. ESPN is paying half a million, like $500 million for the playoffs. All we're asking is that you make provisions, just like you do for coaches' families, you make provisions that players' families are taken care of. Right. Well, and we just we got just done talking with uh, Stacey Elliott, and, and you know, like, he brought up the same point. I mean, Ohio State's getting millions of dollars just for playing in the the playoff, and yeah, and you know, we got six million just for winning the um, Big Ten championship. Right, and so one of the things I think is like interesting is the provisions of the NCAA. I I, I don't know what the exact number is. I think I saw like eight hundred dollars is what Ohio State can provide or something like that, which doesn't even yeah, cover and the I have to say, for one person. <laughs> it does. No, go, go ahead. I'm you know, sorry. No, you're fine. It really doesn't. But I'll tell you one thing because that's we that's more than what we got last year. We got nothing. So I think this year, you know, my husband and I started really talking to compliance back in August to see, hey, 
what what what's on the table? What is the Big Ten? What's the NCAA looking to do for families for playoffs? I guess we were kind of prophetic because here we are in the playoffs. You know, nobody would have thought so, but hey, we saw ahead. <laughs> and I also see us in Dallas, so I'll just put that out there. But we we're gonna have our hands full of Bama, but we'll be ready. But um, we started to you know start to get the conversation started, and in in defense of our compliance in Ohio State and, and Urban and Gene Smith. If they could, they would. Like, they have absolutely no problem with with it. But it's just that the NCA rules really just make it impossible. And so the the only thing they could come up with was the $800 taxable reimbursement, which is a kind gesture. But it's just rules are so archaic and it's just absolutely senseless that it makes – it just it boggles the mind. So we're stuck. Like for us, it's going to cost probably upwards of $4,500, five because it's my husband, myself, and my 13-year-old daughter right. to be able to go. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, $800 getting back maybe by January or February will be nice, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to cover it. Yeah, it's not going to quite do it. And I'm amazed at what you guys have to do because, I mean, I had a daughter that played State Cup soccer and just driving around the state for oh. a weekend – every month you know one or two weekends a month was it was it was putting me in the poor house and i can't imagine i have to go to other states you know and flying across the country you know trips that you can't drive to and 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 staying in the hotels and then you know a lot of these places are not you know near like an affordable hotel so you actually have to pay more for a hotel than you want to pay and that kind of thing so uh, i understand it can be extremely expensive and then think about it's also the holidays Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, even ask the expenses because everyone goes to New Orleans for New Year's normally on a normal um, year. So now when you add the bowl game, it's just, I mean, it's just, there's so many crooks overpricing and overcharging. Right. And the other thing that I I was just thinking about, like just now is like, you know, I feel this almost disproportionately affects people from like northern states as well because you've got, you know, yes. a lot of the kids who, like, let's say LSU is going to the Sugar Bowl, right? Like, their families probably aren't blowing, you know, $4,000 on airfare or whatever to get to the Sugar Bowl. But if you live in Ohio, you're from New Jersey or something like that, then that that's a lot more of a burden on those families, Exactly. Too. Exactly. So how does a committee sit in the room and decide to implement a playoff system, and never once do they say, well, how are these families going to get there? Right. No, I think that's you know, an incredibly right. fair question. Yeah, it, it's a problem. We're, we're we told Stacy, we're really happy that you guys are talking about this because that's how you bring about change is to is to get the awareness out there. And I I know that there's been some talk about how you know the extra playoff game now fans have to choose do they do they spend money on a semifinal or do they wait to see if their team gets in the final and that kind of thing. But you guys. I mean, you got to be there to support your kids, so it's it's not really a big, you know, you, you don't choose, you you go to both, and that's you know that's, you, you uh, go to you go to both, you you sacrifice, um, you know, I jokingly, but it's true, I don't drink, I don't smoke, so my kidneys are very good, um, <laughs> you know, and I only need one, so you know we we've, we've thrown that around. I could right. rob a couple of liquor stores because going to jail is not an NCA violation. <laughs> um, you know, you I will still get to play if I'm locked up. <laughs> right. So, yeah, that's true. I mean, you you just you weigh all this stuff, and, and for us, I think for me the most disheartening thing is that this is such a fixable problem. 
right. it's, it's, it's so easy. It's a drop in the bucket. You have a 70-man traveling roster. When you make the bowl, guess what? Ohio State Travel Committee or whatever, you, you book a size 70 rooms. Now, if anybody needs extra, then, hey, they're on their own. But they're covered with 70 rooms, as well as travel. We, we get an extra plane for, for staff and coaches. Hey, get another plane so you can, you know, it's just, the thing is the money is there. And I think what a lot of fans think is like, oh, they see these kids on TV and they think, oh, well, they're all right. You know, it's the old age in Motown where, you you know, you hear my song on the radio, but I still don't have any money. Hmm. Right. Yeah, but, right. but the, you know, but the, the thing is, even if these kids were filthy rich or dirt poor, it doesn't matter. These big conferences, the NCAA, they have the money to be able to do it, but they're choosing not to do it. Yeah. And that's the problem. And, that and not like only will they the, not do it, but they won't let anyone else do it. Right. And that, that's about, that's what I was about to say. It sounds like the NCAA needs to, to get it going. Cause like you said, I'm sure Gene Smith and, and, you know, Urban Meyer and everybody would love to be able to set that up. But I think the exactly. rules, like you said, are really archaic and just, and let me tell you, my husband talked to a um, big 10 rep today and he told my husband, he said this January they're voting on, you know, the, the provisions to allow um, the players to continue their education. You know, if they leave or they come back, then in 2016, they're going, they might look at, provisions for a family to bowl game and i'm like are you insane like only one decision a year clearly that's not something that should take 12 months to decide yeah no the ncaa they can only make one decision a year that's all you get it's like it's like a wish (laughs) could you imagine your job if you only made one decision a year (laughs) (laughs) oh man that would be a great job I would love that job. <laughs> you know, I'm in the, we're in the wrong profession, I guess. Yeah, that's right. We should all go work for the NCAA. <laughs> yes, let's do that. Come up with really dumb rules and only make one decision a year. I can, you know, it's just, it, 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 and you hear them and it, 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 it's, it's very upsetting. And I'm upset because I think a lot of families really, really want to be there. I mean, this is a game of a lifetime. Yeah. And yeah. Our, our sons look to see us on game day. Um, and not to have that would just be horrible, It'd be absolutely horrible, and it's heartless. Yeah, you're right. It's 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 really kind of senseless when you think of all the money that's pouring in on off the sweat of these kids, and they can't uh, they can't throw a few bucks together to make sure the families are are there to see the games. I mean, you you guys aren't asking for every away game. You're asking for the the special. That's the ball game. Can you, you know? believe yeah. that? Like, yeah. I don't mind. If I incur the expenses from driving to New Jersey and coming to see my kid, that's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll stomach that. God continues to provide. But if you want a bowl game, and for the Big Ten, I would think it's a matter of pride. You have one team representing your entire conference, just one. It's not like you have to pay for five teams. You have one team going to the playoffs. You mean you made no provision at all? And now the, the Big Ten tells her, you know, it was the NCAA they made no provisions. But I'm like, but you sat at the table with the NCAA when you guys cultivated a playoff system. While you were writing that, why not say, hey, let's, what about the players' family? You know, it's like if I'm making Thanksgiving dinner, I, write, I need a turkey. But then I need other stuff to go with the turkey, right? Right. So right. you came up with a system that you didn't have before. Why wait three, four years to decide to help players' families? Yeah, and that and that's yeah. a pretty huge component of the whole thing. 
Nothing. It is. And, and, you know, I think if it was just up to the three of us, we'd have fixed this problem already. <laughs> but unfortunately, unfortunately, there's a, a whole uh, huge uh, governing body and all this red tape. I mean, and stuff the only like way that. we so, get to go free is if, the mom, if we marry the coaches. You know, I'm already married, but you know, if my husband doesn't mind, maybe I'll marry Coach Combs and, you know, we can all go free. Well, I think Kerry Combs would have the most sister wives. I think. No. <laughs> <He would have. laughs> I, th- I do. I think he's a player. I think he would have the most wives on the staff. Uh, yes. But Annie Apple, th- thanks so much for coming on the Dubcast with us and talking about this. I'm sure we'll 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 talk to you again in the future, and we'll, we'll as as further developments happen with the story. And um, you know, thanks for for being with us, and, and good luck uh, coming up with the money for hopefully two more games this year. Thank you. I won't rob any stores. I'll stay free. Thank you guys so much for having me. And I will marry you. Keep safe. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Annie. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. So uh, joining us now on the 11 Dubcast, and yes, it's a cast of thousands, a Dubcast of thousands tonight, uh, is uh, Roy, Roy Chowdhury. And Roy is a, uh, he's an Ohio State graduate and a father, and he has written two Ohio State-themed children's books uh, that we've talked about on uh, 11 Warriors uh, from time to time. Roy, welcome to the 11 Dubcast. Thanks for having me, and again, I appreciate all the stuff you guys have done. I've been a big fan of your website for quite a while, and the, uh, on this on this Dubcast is quite an honor, so thanks again. Well, we thank you for reading our website, and speaking of reading, uh, two children's books, not one, but two, uh, that you've written, and the first thing that pops into my mind is uh, why do you write children's books? Because that seems like something that, uh, although I'm aware that people write children's books as a father, I don't know why anybody would do that. I, I, I mean, I guess it's a calling? I don't know. Well, it's How funny, did you come it's funny to you ask. I mean, really, it came up because my oldest daughter, uh, Emerson, um, uh, when she was about 22 months old, we had our younger daughter. And my wife was putting our younger daughter to bed, you know, every night. And my older daughter started asking me to tell her stories. And the only stories I knew were Woody Hayes stories, uh, 79 Odyssey Michigan game, 75 Masters, uh, 75 World Series, those types of things. So those were the stories that she grew up with. And when I would travel for work, you know, my wife would call me at about 9 o'clock and say, you know, Emerson will not go to bed without the 79 Ohio State Michigan game. I don't even know what that is. She's not an Ohio State person. And, you know, she finally said, I bet there's a market for the, for these types of books. And, you know, we submitted them to a publisher. The publisher really liked them. They gave us an illustrator, and, you know, we started on this journey. So it really kind of just happened as a, you know, part of what I was doing, you know, raising my girls. So it was quite a uh, quite an interesting turn in my life. So That's cool. I You know what, I, I mention this a lot on the Dubcast, but I, I am a high school teacher. So, you know, literacy is obviously a huge aspect of my life and my job and all this other stuff. Um, and one of the things that I know about kids is that they really love stories, and you kind of mentioned this, uh, that are really well illustrated and kind of pop at you. I, I really like the illustrations in your book, and can you talk about like the illustrator and, and you know how that kind of came about? Because I, I think they're really cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I mean, really, it was funny because a lot of the Ohio State books that I found for kids, and, and I'm not really slamming them, they're, just, they're kind of just Brutus walking around campus. It wasn't really a cohesive story. It was kind of a generic story, Brutus walking around campus. I had all those right. books. And I really wanted to create something that was more personal and something that, um, you know, kids could really learn from on, on multiple levels. So when I when I did the Buckeye Block Party, for instance, it takes place in 1979, not only does it detail the game and, and my experience watching it, but 
I really wanted it to be a kind of a journey back in time. I, I made sure that the illustrations were very retro, kind of like um, Super Friends, um, Bugs <laughs> Bunny, you know, those types of 70s cartoons back then. And, you know, I, I went back and I found a, a Sears catalog from 1979. All the clothes are authentic to that time period. There's a scene in the grocery store. All the prices are authentic to that time period. So it was really quite a interesting project to get the illustrator off of 2014 illustration style, which is very modern, and kind of going back to a more flat, you know, old school animation, which, you know, the response has been great, but it was really important to me to kind of stick to that theme of making them authentic from that time and making sure that they weren't just about sports. There are, there are something that parents and grandparents could read on multiple le- levels and, you know, the kids would ask questions and hopefully they get a lot out of it, not just Ohio State football, but, you know, just uh, kind of a history lesson, so to speak. So, Well, as a, as a writer who has actually got paid to write before, I'm, I'm always asking people that are published, like, how did you go about finding, you know, a, a, an outlet to publish it and, you know, what were the difficulties involved and, and, you know, how did everything come about? Well, the the one who did the Brutus Walker on Canvas is a publisher called Mascot Books, and, you know, I contacted them, and, and um, you know, a lot of these types of publishing things are, are self-financed, so really it was something that my wife and I had to sit down and discuss and say, this is something that we want to do, and, you know, we, my wife has been so supportive, and, you know, this is something, uh, you know, a journey we wanted to take, so... You know, it was finding the publisher. They thought there was a big market for it, and then kind of making the personal commitment to say, hey, this is something that, you know, we love, and we think that there's an audience out there that we would love to share those stories with their family. So it was really kind of a a gamble, just hoping that there would be an audience, and thankfully the reception's been wonderful, and, you know, people seem to like them. And, you know, just last week I was in central Ohio, and I spoke to uh, 12 elementary schools, uh, separate classes about the books, and they're teaching them, and they're classes about writing and history and journaling and those types of things. So it's kind of gone beyond my dreams in terms of um, how you know the schools are embracing them. So That's great. So uh, I guess one of the questions that I had, uh, it was another kind of maybe teaching-related thing, but what which of those things, like what grade level are you looking at for that, that kind of book? Like when you're taking that elementary schools, is that just like is it for – beginning readers or is it a little more advanced than that where where is that out like reading level wise i guess well right now i mean my daughter is in kindergarten right now and, and i have actually a one of the advertisements that i made is she's learning to read from it i have other parents telling me my kids is actually learning to read from from your book and nice. you know so really this has been good from kindergarten through fourth grade for who i've spoken to and you know the fourth graders are getting a lot of the nuances that the kindergarten and first graders aren't but you know, particularly in Central Ohio and Ohio for kids that love Ohio State, for you know, for for the parents who want to pass those traditions down, it's a great way to read every night the same book. I have just so many pictures on my website of just you know parents reading the book to their kids at night, and I think that's helping. But kids are really starting to memorize the book and really embrace it. And then I think the older kids, meaning third, fourth grade, they're starting to ask questions about the deeper themes. You know, what what is this TV? Is this, you know, I don't see TVs like that. So even when I spoke to them and I would read them the books. Obviously, my reading to the first grader is very different than my reading to the fourth grader, but, you know, I was just very happy that, you know, there were many questions after I read the books and, you know, each to their own level, but I think this is kind of wide, wide, far-reaching, which, again, has been a pleasant surprise, so. Yeah, and I have a five-year-old, so I know they 
you know, once a kid latches onto a book, they want to like read that book every night. So it's uh, <laughs> it's it's it can get a little old. So if you're a, an Ohio State fan, at least this is a a good thing to read every night, as opposed to you know like the the children's book version of Frozen that I had to <laughs> suffer through. What are you uh, talking about? <laughs> I mean, um, I've managed to avoid those, thankfully. So yeah. So so Roy, um, how long have the books been out? The books have actually been out since October, so it's been about a 15-month journey from me starting to the the books being being kind of back from the printer. So they've been out since October. The response has been phenomenal. Um, you know, just not only my partnership with you guys, but just again, just with uh, you know, different school systems, different school organizations, they really embraced it. And the first question I was always at, told, or first thing people always told me was, "We don't want just an entertainment book about Ohio State." And then I would explain it to them once they read it. I could even see the, the the change in their tone as, wow, this is something that we really want. This is something that we really want to kind of use in our classroom or, or share with our kids. So it's 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 been great, and it's only been out since October. So hopefully, you know, people will continue to enjoy it. And I think it's a great gift, particularly given what Ohio State's done this year. And just kind of, again, what I always tell people is, what a great opportunity to pass down your traditions and cultures to your kids and grandkids. So it's been out since October, and you say it's it's doing very well. Is this something that you plan to do more of in the future, or is it too early to tell if there'll be any more books coming out? Well, I, I've I've written my next three books. You know, I wrote a book about the '75 Masters. I wrote a book about Game Six of the '75 World Series, and you know, with my partnership with Cornelius Green and some of the, the Ohio State guys, that they uh, insisted I write one about the '75 Ohio State Michigan game. So, if these continue <laughs> to, to do well, I mean, I'd really love to write you know, two or three books a year about different sporting events and kind of this historical children's books market about sports. No one's really tapped into that. So, you know, I could go to different areas or different markets and just write stories. You know, it's not just high state fans out there. There's Red Sox fans out there. There's Yankees fans out there. There's District Pirates no, fans no, out there. No, no, there's not. There's, there's not. <laughs> there are only Ohio State fans. <laughs> yeah. So as much as I'd love to believe that, I mean, I think there are don't, other markets. Don't bring out there. your Red Sox and Yankees stuff here. This is this is Ohio State eleven dubcast. Um you. I'm just kidding. Um so, no, that's great. That's that sounds like uh, a lot of fun and, and you know, best of luck to you uh, with that in the future. But I know we're coming up on Christmas time and people are gonna want to know how they can get their hands on these children's books, uh these Ohio State themed books and uh tell us how people can get these books. Well, you can actually go to my website at uh, BuckeyeKidsBooks.com, and um, you know, again, with my partnership with you guys, I must say, from the beginning, you know, Ramsey, all of you guys have just been, you know, just so helpful and just done so much for me. I can't thank you guys enough for everything you've done. But there's a code, uh, 11W2X, uh, and if you enter that code at checkout, you actually save 20% off um, every set. So I think it's a good deal, and. Um, um, particularly if you use the 11 words code. So, you know, that's how you can get them. And then um, if, if um, you know, you want to email me, that all my information is on my website. So, Okay, so 11W2X is the coupon code, right? Yes, sir. And it's at BuckeyeKidsBooks.com. Yep. And all there's right. book trailers uh, on there. There's a kids club on there. There's all kinds of player testimonials and, and you know, notes from Archie and Chris Spielman and, you know, incidentally, Chris Spielman wrote the intro for both books. So, you know, there's all that kind of stuff you can check out on the website, and, and, and there's a lot of good information on there. So. Well, see, now I have to have them because I'm a Chris Spielman fanatic, and I'm going to have to have those uh, just to read the intros. But also I'll read them to my daughter because that's <laughs> the kind of dad I am. 
Well, that's great. And, and it's funny. I mean, I have two girls. I don't have any boys. So they've embraced them. And, and uh, you know, I couldn't be happier that how much they love them and they love the Ohio State traditions. And it was a great way to kind of share share how passionate I am about that with them. So. Yes, I'm, and I'm, of course, raising mine the right way. She She's actually trained now so that when the that Big Ten commercial comes on, uh, the Big Ten Network commercial comes on, and the, the sprouts out like Game of Thrones style with the horseshoe, she starts yelling, Buckeyes, Buckeyes, uh, which is pretty cool. So uh, I'm there a proud go. papa there. <laughs> That's awesome. So, <laughs> so Roy, Roy Chowdhury, uh, you want to support a an Ohio State alum and uh, and pick up a couple of nice uh, Christmas presents for your young ones, uh, go to BuckeyeKidsBooks.com and use that 11W2X coupon code to get 20% off your set of uh, two books. So uh, thanks, Roy, for being on the Dubcast, and uh, really best of luck with your uh, with your books. Thanks again, and go Bucks. I really appreciate it, guys. Thanks again. Thank you. All right, so uh, we want to thank our dubcast of thousands. Uh, <laughs> Matt Finkus was on tonight, and uh, also Stacy Elliott, Annie Apple, and Roy Roy Chowdhury. Uh, man, that's a lot of guests, Johnny. <laughs> that is that is a lot. That is a new dubcast record. Are we making people pay extra for this dubcast? <laughs> we should, uh, but we're not because we're dumb and we're bad at business. But okay. <laughs> We'll I did not graduate from the business school, and you didn't either. I, uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> I was a journalism school grad. So, um, and you were uh, what school of education? No. Well, okay. So my first degree was in history, and then my second was in education. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, look at you, Mister Two Degrees. That's right. Um, <laughs> you're too smart for this dubcast. Get out. Um, okay, so but before we get out of here, of course, we have ask us anything. We're not going to forget to do ask us anything. Of course not. That would be ridiculous. It's our favorite part of the show. It is. Uh, Johnny, why don't you tell our listeners how they can ask us anything, literally anything. You guys can ask us literally anything by hitting us up on Twitter. My Twitter account is Johnny11W. Michael's is 11W underscore Michael. Or you can uh, send us an email. That is dubcast at 11warriors.com. D-U-B-C-A-S-T at 11warriors.com. Yes. Or... The eleven Dubcast Twitter feed. You can you can ask your oh, question. Oh, that's right. There. Yeah, the, the eleven Dubcast. And actually, that's that's probably better than our personal. <laughs> yeah, spell it out. It's eleven Dubcast. E L E V E N D U B C A S T. That's the Twitter account that you'll want to hit up. And uh, we got a bunch of questions on Twitter this week, so that's kind of cool. But we're going to start with the the email that we got. I think I'm going to start with it if I can find it. And I'm pretty sure I can, because I start it, because I have this Gmail thing, and if you put a little star next to it, it makes things easy to find. That's very professional. really handy. Yes. Uh, so this uh, question, Johnny, comes to us from Stephen Fleckner, and uh, Stephen wants to know, how come, during the big championship, JT was on the sidelines still wearing his jersey, but every time they have shown Braxton on the sidelines this year, he is, isn't wearing his jersey? Because Braxton's not a yep. team player, that's why... <laughs> you got your, you got some insight into that? No, I mean whatever. I don't care. Like JT, <laughs> if anything, JT's ridiculous for wearing it. Like he's not gonna like pop in and be like, all right, I'm got, I'm good, guys. Let's go, let's do it. Like if you know, Cardale started to struggle or something. Like whatever. Braxton, wherever. Yeah, I don't think Gary Anderson was looking across the field and going, oh shh. Oh man, look at that JT Barrett. Yeah, he's in uniform. Yeah. What the hell? Yeah, I don't think. It um, 
I think it's because Braxton is more stylish. Yeah. Well, he is. A, by the way, he is an extremely stylish dude. Like he is. His, you know, Instagram stuff. Yeah, that dude. That dude's got some style. He's got a little swag. Knows how to dress. Plus, he got hurt before the season, so it's possible they never even issued him a jersey. Yeah, that is also. Yeah, that is very <laughs> true. Uh, so, thanks for the question, Stephen. I hope we answered it. Um, well, I know we answered it, but <laughs> sarcastically. I yeah, I hope we gave you something you could use. Yeah. Um, so let's take it on to the Twitters, the Twitter sphere. We got some questions here. Got a couple from uh, Johnny. I think his name. Yeah, his name, his name's Johnny Murray. He still got the M X'd out from Michigan Week, okay. uh, which drives me kind of insane. But because oh. uh, the alphabet existed long before the University of Michigan, so I, I don't, I don't let Michigan affect my use of the alphabet. Uh, but Johnny wants to know. Better food, Mexican or barbecue? What? Uh, God dang! I eat Mexican more than I eat barbecue, but barbecue is better than Mexican. I'm, I'm just gonna—that's—that's that's just true facts right there. Like I can't deny that. Um, I'm going to say I'm going to take the other side and say Mexican because I really love Mexican food, and although I love barbecue, there is a lot more good Mexican than there is a lot uh, than there is good barbecue. Yeah, in I, my just, I just think really good barbecue is better than really good Mexican. That, I, that's just how I feel because I think Mexican kind of has it like tops out at a certain point for me. And okay. barbecue, I haven't I haven't met that limit yet because I, I go to different places and I'm like man, this is the best barbecue I've ever had. And then I'll go to like a couple months later, a new place. And I'm like man, this is the best barbecue I've ever had. I've been to a lot of Mexican restaurants. I don't keep doing that with Mexican. That's all I'm saying. All right. Fair enough. Uh, so we're split on that issue, and now he wants to know a better musician, Jack Johnson or Dave Matthews Band. Huh, I don't. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't be as big a turd to Dave Matthews because I, I understand he is a talented musician, but it's Jack Johnson. It's not close. I'm going to abstain because I don't really care for either artist. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a huge fan. Like, I mean, I marginally like Jack, Jack Johnson better, but yeah, I'm not a big DMV guy. Plus, didn't Dave Matthews like unload all that poop on somebody like in their their tour like their their you know their van? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Was, uh, was their tour bus or something? Yeah, their tour uh, bus yeah. whatever like dumped a bunch of poop on like guys in Cincinnati or something. And like you know, I know DJ Burns is sitting there listening to this going good, but like still that <laughs> it's kind of a mean thing to do. So yeah, I'm going Jack Johnson. Was that intentional or was it an accident? I'm sure I it was an accident, but, I mean, it's funnier to assume right. it was intentional. Sure it is. Okay. Um, yeah, okay. So I'm going I'm going with Peter Gabriel here. Um, <laughs> okay. And then, uh, so then he asks staff favorites, and I'm not sure what he means by that, unless he's meaning, like, what our favorite musicians are. Since it Maybe he's asking who our favorite people on the staff are. Oh, okay. I'm, my favorite is Michael Citro. <laughs> no, no, no. Jeremy Birmingham. I like him way more than... Michael Citro. Uh, I am going to say I don't. I like everybody on staff, but everybody's great, really. Uh, yeah, but I gotta tell you and, something, and, that, and I've said this for a long time. I think DJ Burns is one of the best writers like I've ever read. Like I, I'm like his. I know he doesn't write, you know, like philosophy or great works of literature or anything like that. But I, well, I take that back. He has written a great work of literature. It's it's called The Most Hated On, and it's available in uh, an ebook form from Amazon. You should buy it. Um, but, uh, his prose is just magnificent and I am constantly in awe of the, 
wordsmithing that he does. So, yeah, I'm going to say DJ Burns from a writing What's great about DJ is that he's got the most unique voice on the staff, uh, for sure. By far. It's not even close. Yeah. And, it's, and he's, got such a hel- <laughs> he's got such a hilarious outlook on life yeah. um, that, that uh, you know, it's very infectious and it's very endearing. And I, I like and, – and he'd probably cringe at both of those words. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we love DJ and, I mean – Vico's great. Uh, Jason's good. I mean, everybody's good. Everybody's there's a weak link. That's why our site is the best on the internet. I always, uh, when I go up for the weekend that we have uh, Eat Two Brutus, or it used to be Eat Two Brutus, now it's the Levin Dubgate. I uh, don't want to get anybody sued. Um, I always feel bad because I always feel like I didn't spend enough time with some of the guys you know, from the site, whether it's Chris or whether it's you know, Patrick Max because he's got to work during the thing or Tim Shoemaker. I mean, I always wish I'd spent more time with some of those guys. So I always leave Columbus going, man, if I, I wish I had just like another hour to sit down and talk to this dude or that dude or all these dudes because they're, they're good people. And you should always come to all of our events because uh, they're really good guys to know. I agree. So uh, Johnny Murray, thanks for those questions. Kurt Heinrichs uh, has a couple of questions. Uh, Kurt uh, writes uh, some wrestling stuff, actually, for the 11W right. website time to time. We appreciate that because we got a really good wrestling team. Uh, Kurt wants to know, is it acceptable for a grown man to shrug when doing something awesome at work a la Joey Bosa? Yes. Asking for a friend. <laughs> yes, I I'm say yes. I'm not going to wait also. for you to read that yeah. entire question. I'm just going to say yes. yes. It's always acceptable for a grown man to shrug when doing something awesome. Yeah. Uh, but nobody does it cooler than than Joey Bosa, so yeah. don't get your hopes up. Here's the problem, though: when old when old white guys start to do it, it's going to get really lame, and nobody's going to want to do it anymore. So there, you know, you just gotta you gotta use that carefully. Only use it. I'm already I'm already doing it ironically. <laughs> <laughs> God dang it! Kurt also, <laughs> Kurt also wants to know what is the best. This is going to be a good one for you. What is the best account to follow on Twitter that has nothing to do with sports? There's nothing to do with sports. I don't follow a lot of non-sports people on Twitter, actually. Um, I follow Save Do a Click because I, I like the idea that it's like subverting all that BuzzFeed BS where it's like, you know, clickbait and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I do too. I also follow that. I follow The Onion. You know, I, I think The Onion is the finest comedy writing in America right now. I, I think The Onion is hilarious. Uh, Love The Onion. I don't know. It's weird because sometimes there are guys who you think would be really good to follow, and then they're not. Like they're really bad. You know, like uh-huh. like guys you would think would be really funny, and you're like, man, this isn't this is not good. Um, right. Most comedians are terrible. Yeah. Terrible follows. They're 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 not funny on Twitter. No. Like because they're not used to writing jokes that way, and right. they're also like just constantly self-promoting. Like Stephen Wright. If Stephen Wright's on Twitter, I should probably follow Stephen Wright. Or if Mitch Hedberg was still alive and on Twitter, I'd follow Mitch Hedberg. But like. I love Patton Oswalt, right? Like I think he's hilarious, but he's terrible uh-huh. on Twitter. Like, I don't, I, I don't, I don't necessarily disagree with his opinions, but he's got a, you know, he writes a lot on like a blog and stuff, and there he's very funny and very good. But like on Twitter, I'm like, this isn't, this isn't funny. I don't like this. Yeah. So I don't know there's a lot of weird Twitter stuff. Just go to DJ's like Twitter follows and just follow everybody on there, and you'll be fine. <laughs> I also like Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah, that's a good uh, one. He's he's a pretty good follow. Um, so if you like science stuff, he's he's. Uh, He's always throwing some really cool factoids out there, that, which is really good. And, and he's actually surprisingly funny. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so those are our choices, I guess. I, and probably I'm going to think of one in the second we sign off and that, that I should have said instead. But this is what happens when you ask us on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> 
not that you asked us on the spot. You asked us on Twitter. And uh, so, Josh Ford, our last uh, question tonight. Bosa has the shrug as his celebratory move. Celebratory move, sorry. Uh, what motion would you make after a big play? You would never get yeah. <laughs> you would never get a, a penalty. Anything goes. Uh, so I invented a dance called the typewriter. Um, I would do the typewriter. Tell me about this typewriter. Well, I invented it. I invented it. And and here's the thing. I realized. So Lil B, right? Lil B's a rapper. By the way, another excellent Twitter follow. <laughs> Uh yeah, Lil B's are great. He talks about paying his taxes. He's he's awesome. Anyway, Lil B has a dance called the cooking dance, and I it's it's a great dance. Like you you mind cooking, it's awesome. Um, and I realized that all successful dances, you know, like the lawnmower or the sprinkler or the shopping cart or the running man, you're basically taking something that's inanimate, uh-huh. and then you're making it animate. So like the typewriter is essentially you you have a typewriter in front of you, imaginary typewriter. And then you type with your fingers, but you're doing your shoulder action. And then when you get to the end of the reel, you go ding, and then you slide it back. And then you just do, 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 ding, and then you slide it back. And it's it's really a great, I, it's a really good wedding dance because you really want to get like 10 people on a line doing it. But I do the typewriter like nonstop until people got sick of it. And I do it like twice as often because it's sweet. <laughs> wow. So you're going to have to explain to people what a typewriter is. You know that, right? No, people know what <laughs> All right, watch old movies. You'll see one. Um, I, I don't even know what I would do. I, I'd probably do something stupid that I'd have to take like the next playoff. Like I'd take my shoe off and act like I was making a phone call with it or something. <laughs> like a get smart kind yeah, of shoe yeah, phone yeah, thing. Yeah, I was about to say. You're in a little <laughs> yeah. action. And it's like, crap, i got to get off the field and go put my shoe on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, either that or, you know, maybe, you know, just... If if I wouldn't get a penalty, I'd just punch the ref in the face after that. Wow, that'd be that's, great. That's be like I came up with a sack, and then I got up and punched the ref in the face. It's a little like, violent. This is that's a that's a great celebratory move. Okay, so I get to take out my frustrations on the on the ref afterwards. Wow. Um, now now it would probably be the first thing, the stupid thing where I'd have to go off the field for a play to put my shoe back on. Nice. So I would I would I you know it would extend my career though because I would be missing every other play. That's true. Assuming that I made you know a celebratory play every other play or whatever, <laughs> I, that's no good guarantee. And really violent. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you constructed a very elaborate and kind of scary alternate you know future for yourself. It's kind of it's a, it's a lot. Yeah, well, I, it beats the reality. That's all I can say. <laughs> it beats the reality. Dark. So, so that's uh, that's our ask us anything for this week. Thanks so much for asking us literally anything. Uh, hit us up on Eleven Dubcast on the Twitter or. Uh, write us, dubcast at 11warriors.com. And uh, you know what? We're not going to even do a final question this week, Johnny, because there was just too much. If we put any more in here, this whole entire dubcast would explode. Yeah, we're running a little long, but that's okay. Literally. It's all right. Yeah, so uh, we'll have to. I'll just have to make it up next time I do one with, uh, with a, a really good question instead of the lame ones that I usually ask. <laughs> so uh, we are... Same. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for saying that. We are Big Ten champions, Johnny, and uh, now we get to spend a few weeks uh, thinking about Alabama and um, you know hoping to get past them and and playing in the you know for a national championship, which is an awesome spot to be in uh, after the football season. Me personally, I'm already taking this as it's a it's been a fantastic season. Uh, you lose Braxton Miller 12 days before the season, and you go, what the hell is going to happen this year? And oh. We made the playoffs. That's so, Pat, this is great, man. I'm, I'm, I'm good. Like, I want us to be competitive against Alabama. But beyond that, I'm, I'm happy. 
Yeah, house money. We're playing with house money at this point, and I'm with you. I'm just like, I don't want to get beaten badly by Alabama, so everybody goes, see, they shouldn't have been in there. It should have been TCU. <laughs> um, and that's the tone that the voice that they use when they say those things, that's Right, uh, as you know. So, uh, But anyway, we'll have much more on uh, the Alabama matchup, and guess what? The basketball team's playing. Uh, we're going to be talking about them as well. Uh, so some more hoops, some more hoops to come in uh, in the coming weeks as well. So uh, we'll uh, see you next time on the Dubcast. I'm Michael Citro. I'm John Ginter. Peace out, everyone. <laughs>